Are you ready for good talk? And of course you're ready. You've been anxious to hear good talk for, well, more than a month now since our first summer special edition of good talk. This is the second summer special edition of good talk the last one for the summer we'll be back with our regular weekly episodes of good talk starting in uh, a couple of weeks from now so Chantel is in montreal bruce is in ottawa and the last time we talked in june it was kind of to set up the summer and whether or not you know the liberals were going to get their act together whether conservatives were really on the verge of electing pierre polyev whether the ndp were having doubts about whether or not this deal with the liberals was a good thing or not. So all those kind of things were at play and they had two months to sort them all out. And the issue now is, well, did anything really change? Has the landscape changed at all in the Canadian uh, political situation? Bruce is just out with a new Abacus Data National Survey of Canadians' opinions. And if you look at the straight vote intention thing, it hasn't really changed that much. The Conservatives are up a couple of points. The Liberals are down a couple of points. Everybody else is kind of where they were um, over the last few months. So nothing big has changed there. When I sort of peel back the numbers beyond that, Bruce, I'm most... um, the thing I notice most is the way Canadians feel about Trudeau, the Prime Minister. And it's, you know, it's not pretty. Um, but the question is, is it really that different than it's always been? And, you know, it just to basically look at some of the his numbers, I mean, there were more people who think he's a horrible Prime Minister than any of the other categories you list. And there are four other ones. Um but a horrible prime minister, 29%, a great prime minister, 5%. So you look at that and you look at, you know, Trudeau just generally as a prime minister, their impressions of Trudeau have changed dramatically and seem to be on a real downturn form right now. Negative impressions of Trudeau, and it goes on. So the question is, is it as bad as it's, you know, is it worse right now for Justin Trudeau than it's ever been? And if so, what does that say about the the national positioning of the parties? It's a serious situation for, for the prime minister and for the government, but it isn't um, historically anywhere near as bad as we've seen for some incumbents. Um, I'm not suggesting that they shouldn't look at those creeping upward negative ratings and not take them seriously and understand the nature of what's motivating people to say, I'm, I'm less and less satisfied. But um, by the same token, his numbers are, are, are probably by a point or two the worst that they've been, but only by a point or two worse than they were right around the time of the SNC-Lavalin scandal, after which he did win a couple of elections. So I think we need to put them in some context. I think the whole question of um, how many people think he's a horrible prime minister also needs to be read with an understanding that there are a lot of people who voted against him three times and were pretty heavily motivated uh, by their dislike and by parties that opposed the prime minister who said you should dislike him. Um, But that's still not 40 or 50%. And his opponents in the last two elections saw negatives that got up into the 50% range. Andrew Scheer and uh, Aaron O'Toole. And I guess the big question, apart from what the prime minister can do to improve his standing with Canadians, is how will Pierre Polyev, assuming that he's the conservative leader, fare? Right now, he's he's communicating on a channel that is mostly being consumed by conservative partisans. His positives aren't growing. His negatives are a little bit elevated. But the question is, once he emerges on the stage, if in fact that's what happens um, and Canadians start paying attention to him, is he going to wear better than Aaron O'Toole or Andrew Scheer? Or is there potential that because of the way that he comes across and the things that he espouses, 
that he's actually going to start to see his negatives rise as well. So I think there's a lot left to be done. The liberals can't afford to just bank on uh, another underperforming opponent. Um, and the other two things that have changed, and I'll finish on this point, is the last time we talked, we were still talking about COVID. And Canadians were still thinking a lot about COVID. And right now, we're at the lowest level of public concern with COVID than we've seen since it arrived in Canada. We'll see what happens to that in the fall. But all the indications are that people see COVID now as a risk that they can take on and live with, and they don't want the economy shut down, and they don't want government imposing a lot of measures. They might or might not take boosters, but it's a very different context than we've seen for the last couple of years where the government's agenda really just needed to be COVID and what to do to help people. Whereas right now, food prices are high, gas prices are high, it's hard to travel. There are frustrations that didn't exist before, mostly around economics. And the government, in my view, has been a bit silent uh, on some of that stuff this summer. And they're going to need to sound more like they're engaged on the economy if they're going to look to find those, those voters again. All right. I want to bring Chantel into this and and remind all of us and and Chantel that when we talked in June, we were pretty aggressive on uh, on the sense that the government actually really needed to do something to show that it was focusing on some of those issues like the economy, like the finance minister getting involved in in that. Um, And the question is, you know, two months later or even more than two months later. Has anything really changed? Okay, um, I'll, I want to get back to uh, to to Trudeau standing, but first uh, to your more immediate question. Mm-hmm. It seems to me, uh, or I'm possibly being generous in my interpretation, uh, that a strategic decision has been made to keep uh, the government and the Liberals powder dry until the Conservatives have a leader in place and the House resumes. I say generous because maybe it's just that they don't uh, have any clue as to what they want to do, and uh, we will discover that in the fall. But it would strategically be an option to say Canadian minds have not been totally focused on politics this summer, on the contrary, uh, and the Conservative leadership campaign will end shortly before the House rises. That being said, I agree with uh, Bruce that uh, you say, you know, the notion that the finance minister would become more involved in economics, uh, an economics issue, is that not her job? Uh, and it seems to me that I keep seeing Christian Freeland welcoming foreign dignitaries uh, and tweeting about Ukraine, which is all fine, but uh, not really taking up the space that the government should be taking in the frame of the bread and butter issues uh, that are the prime concern of Canadians. To go back to Trudeau's standing, uh, I've covered, like you you guys have, a number of prime ministers. I don't think that this uh, is, is poor ratings at this point or anywhere in the category of Brian Mulroney over that last mandate, or even Stephen Harper, where it gets to the point that even policies that make sense are tainted by the fact that the prime minister is the person who is putting them forward. I don't think we are quite there yet. And I'll bring you back to another example, uh, Jean Chrétien. Jean Chrétien, over his last mandate, also had very high negatives. But they seem to me to be closer uh, in texture uh, to Trudeau's current bad ratings than to anything else. And and why I say that is, remember, Jean Chrétien eventually put a date on his retirement to avoid internal turmoil uh, and the Paul Martin faction uh, poisoning the well of his leadership at the convention with, with a confidence vote in his leadership. But before he did reach that date, he put in place a series of policies that uh, left the Liberal Party and Jean Chrétien himself uh, at uh, in majority territory and voting intentions. Had Jean Chrétien gone to the polls after he declined to join the U.S. and Iraq, uh, after he put in public political financing, go down the list, he would have won that election hands down. Uh, So this brings me to the number that I find more interesting and more disquieting for the government, and it goes back to the first points, and it is that the government's approval numbers 
are down, significantly down. And that, to me, tells me that most of us already have our own idea of Justin Trudeau, and we are not going to change our minds. If we think that he is so-so, we will not suddenly discover him as brilliant. If we think he's great and there are liberal partisans who believe he walks on water, that's not going to change. And if we think he's crappy, we're not going to be convinced otherwise. Where the government really needs to work is on on policy and, and, and making policy happen. Uh, that is where the cure is. It's not in reinventing Justin Trudeau. At this stage uh, in his tenure, it's too late to reinvent him. But it is to demonstrate that this is a government that can still come up with competent policy making uh, that does respond to uh, people's concerns. And that starts first and foremost with the economy, but also healthcare. Uh, if you go out there, you will hear about healthcare. And on this file, too, the federal government has mostly been missing in action. Did you want to pick yeah. up on that, Bruce? Yeah, I wanted to pick up on a couple of things. I agree with a lot of what Chantal has said, obviously, but I think the uh, a couple of things that occurred to me as she was going through her observations that going back to the negatives for Mulroney and uh, Harper and past prime ministers, um, we've heard the expression, the irrational kind of uh, dislike, uh, you know, that exists around certain political leaders in, in the past, that their supporters will say, well, the criticisms of Harper are kind of irrational. They're based on this kind of exaggerated sense of how bad he is. And I always think there has been a bit of truth to that, that, that people can get kind of dug in in their uh, their strong feelings against an incumbent. And maybe that's been more true with some conservatives than with some liberals, but that doesn't really matter to me. What matters to me now is that the quality of the irrationality towards Trudeau manifests itself in things that we've not really seen very much before. The, the conspiracy theory stuff, the, the idea that you don't just have to dislike his policies, but you have to believe strange things that aren't based on fact, that aren't based on science, that don't really make much sense from a, a public policy standpoint. And you almost see now Polyev having to do what Republican candidates have to do in the States, which is to follow that herd that is voicing these conspiracy theories rather than stop them cold once in a while and say, well, actually, that's not that's not a real thing. And what we should be trying to do is reduce the deficit or get to a place where taxes can come down, or this is our solution to uh, the cost of housing, or this is what we could do to help with inflation. Um, I commented a little while ago that I don't think that Pierre Polyev has really been stress tested in this in this race very much. And that's kind of what I'm talking about, that he doesn't seem to need to. All he seems to do is to put up a sign that says, there's a meeting where you can talk about bizarre conspiracy theories and hate on Trudeau. Why don't you come to it? And while you're there, sign up for the Conservative Party and vote for me. I think it's working for him as a strategy to win that leadership. But I don't think we've seen a version of irrational dislike of an incumbent that's quite like this. And I don't really know how it's going to play out because once he's the leader, can he really, I mean, people talk about whether or not he's going to be able to pivot or he's going to be willing to pivot. And I think the question is the people who he's been attracting, they don't want him to pivot and he doesn't look like he's getting ready to, he looks like he's comfortable with some of those theories. Uh, the last point I would make is on the economy. It's a different set of economic issues than we've seen before. It's not jobs, jobs, jobs. There's lots of jobs. There's not enough workers for the jobs. It's inflation, but it's also the case that, you know, while some people are hit really hard by inflation, other people aren't experiencing inflation as a, as a kind of a life-changing scenario right now. And it's not clear exactly what government can do in the near term and whether the problem will kind of go away over the medium and longer term. But the idea of an economy that everybody can thrive in, that's the what I see as being a new definition. And for young people in particular, voters that Mr. Trudeau and the liberals need to count on to win, um, 
the question of housing affordability is is the biggest part of that. Um, and uh, I don't know if they've got a plan that's going to be more persuasive and positive for people who are worried about that part of their economic lives, but I would think that they need to have something that feels more compelling and interesting in that area. All right. I think Chantel is going to want to pick up on some of that, and I'm going to want to I'm going to want to pick up on this conspiracy stuff too, because I, I, you know, I, I, I find that it is deeper and um, edgier and more um, impactful on the current situation than we've ever seen before. And I'm, I don't quite understand why what's feeding it. Uh, but before any of that, quick break. back for our final summer edition of good talk Chantal is in montreal bruce is in ottawa um before we get into conspiracy theory stuff again at least one question on it um Chantel, did you want to pick up on uh, some of the stuff that bruce was just mentioning before the break some uh i i understand would be saying about housing but i don't see how uh, a federal government that uh, is uh, dealing with a, a bank of canada that is raising interest rates and mortgage rates uh, can do much except look like it's going it's it's kind of eating its own tail uh, you, you you give a break to people who are worried about housing at the same time you're making it harder for people to hang on or to get them to housing uh, it, it, it's a difficult policy area and I don't really believe that it's one that uh, can get resolved uh, by the federal government on its own. It, it, it's coordinated action is needed. And from province to province to province, the situation is also uh, not necessarily totally similar, except that there are housing shortages uh, in a lot of areas. Healthcare, to me, sounds like another matter. And I know that we're all wary, given that we gave at the office uh, a decade and a half ago to say, here we are again having a big debate about healthcare, but I believe that is where we are going. Uh, and that that is a concern that the federal government needs to pay even more attention to than housing because it is a lot more widespread and its responsibilities in that area uh, are considered by Canadians as being real. Uh, and I, I listened to the premiers, I've listened to them this summer. And while you can think of a lot of things that the provinces have done wrong or could be doing uh, better, you do know that nothing that happened this summer gave the impression that the federal government was terribly interested in being part of the solution. It gave the impression that they wanted to be to win an argument with the provinces. Uh, and I'm not sure that that's going to work really well for uh, for Justin Trudeau and his government when he ends up with uh, probably François Legault re-elected with a majority, with Doug Ford at the beginning of a new mandate, and with uh, very few friends around the provincial table, including BC's NDP government on healthcare. Uh, so if I if I were sitting in those back rooms, I would be saying you need to do better than announce that you've just hired a new uh, chief federal nursing person. Uh, because then the question is, oh, yeah, and to do what? It, it, it sounds like a, a, an answer to a problem that is not maybe non-existent, but uh, that is not the real problem. Are those who say that the healthcare system is on the verge of collapse, are they overstating the situation or is, is that where we are? I mean, you can't create nurses out of thin air. You cannot force a nurse that works in one area to suddenly go work in another area. You cannot uh, create doctors and GPs out of thin air. There is a critical shortage uh, of medical personnel, nurses, etc., and it is not limited to the usual places where it has been hard to uh, ensure access to medical services. It's everywhere. You hear it from Ontario and from Toronto, uh, not a place where you used to hear those laments as much as where I live uh, these days. So it's not 
it's not a simple issue. I'm not too sure. I mean, a lot of provinces, uh, conservative ones, are saying, well, we're going to, you know, contract out to, to more private services. Seriously, uh, I don't see that as a threat to Medicare, but I don't see how you create doctors and nurses or don't end up having them migrate out of the public system to the private system by sending uh, more work to the private system. There is a labor issue at this point and a labor shortage. It's critical not only, and by the way, it is not only nurses and doctors. Kids are going back to school today in Quebec. Hundreds of classes do not have a teacher to welcome the kids. It is not because there is no money to pay teachers. It's that there is no teachers to hire. So, so this issue of the aging of the population and what it is going to be doing to our public services, healthcare, education, you never really hear the prime minister or the minister of finance talk about this in terms that relate to people's everyday experience of thinking, where is my child or, in my case, my grandchild going to be next week when they have suddenly merged grade three and four together because they're missing teachers? You never hear about things like that. Uh, and I think up to a point that that conversation is more important than the uh, housing conversation. Okay. Um Bruce, I want to rewind back to the uh, this issue of conspiracy theories and um, how people are being attracted, or some people are being attracted to it like, uh, you know, a moth to light um, in, in a way that we haven't seen before. I agree with both of you, obviously, uh, because we've all witnessed it, the... Uh, um, how how a government and a prime minister can fall out of favor in in a big way uh, with the uh, Canadian people. Um, we've seen it, you know, more than a few times in our careers. Um, but this seems to be being fed. At least you were suggesting it was some of it, especially the depth of you know hatred um, for the current prime minister by the willingness of his political opponents to draw people in on the conspiracy front and say, you want to talk about this? Let's talk about it. You know, I, I don't disagree with you in some cases, as we've seen, you know, through the Conservative Leadership Convention on, on the lead contender for the job, uh, for sure, including his wife. I mean, his wife was saying things the other day uh, on Twitter about um, the prime minister, which I've never heard <laughs> I've certainly never heard anybody in the political arena uh, talking that way. Um, but why, why is this happening? What is feeding this? I mean, obviously, we see some of this south of the border, a lot of it, actually. But what's feeding it here? Well, I think that we talked in the past about the role of the Internet in allowing people to come across bits of information that help them feel better about something that they're frustrated with and often how often those elements of information or not really information, but the elements of argument that's presented to them um, are kind of designed to foster their uh, sense of grievance, their anger, and to torque up uh, the, uh, the sense that somehow the world is out to get them is doing things that are against their interests. The, the clip that you and I were looking at the other day, Peter, about, the conversation on a doorstep that Pierre Polyev and his wife had with a voter about the World Economic Forum is bizarre. Um, you can think that Davos is a waste of money um, and that there are better ways to have a conversation with other people around the world about the economy. But the idea that having a conversation with other people from around the world about the economy is a terrible idea that's that's designed to undermine your interests as a Canadian, that's really what uh, was being discussed in that exchange. And it's not just those people, uh, those those three people having that conversation. There are a large number of them. And we saw Pierre Polyev say, I'll never let my ministers go to a meeting like that. And he applauded as this, this woman, um, and I nothing against the woman, was saying things that really deserved to have that John McCain uh, treatment when somebody said Barack Obama is a Muslim 
you know, and he's out to destroy America or something like that. And McCain correctly said, no, no, ma'am, we've got to understand here. We disagree on policies, but that's not who he is. And, and I think we need more of that, obviously. I, I, I do think the, um, the larger question is not just this contest that we're headed towards. It's the idea that conservatism is being redefined as uh, an engine for what, to my eyes anyway, and others I'm sure will disagree, um, for chaos and, and division. Um, I listened to what Jean Charest and before him, before he left the race, Patrick Brown and maybe Aitchison um, as well are saying, and they seem to be calling for supporters to embrace a version of conservatism, which isn't about chaos. It's the opposite. Conservatism for me has always been about stability and um, uh, the, the opposite of chaos and unity, not division. And now we're seeing in the United States and here in Canada, um, this tendency to, to redefine conservative as being something that where the table is going to be flipped over. Who knows what kind of currency system we should have? Let's fire the Bank of Canada governor. Let's let's embrace whatever wild and uh, nonsensical ideas are out there that are getting people angry who might decide that they can cast a vote for the blue team. And I think it's very dangerous. I think it's dangerous for our democracy. I, I noted in the United States a little while ago, maybe three weeks, no, about a week ago, there was an NBC News poll which asked people, what's the biggest threat facing the country or the biggest issue facing the country? And threats to democracy is, was the number one answer. Now, the curious part about that is I'm sure Democrats think that threats to democracy are coming from Republicans and vice versa. We're not there yet, but we do need democracy to kind of not become the flashpoint that everybody wants to tear down. Uh, we need people to want to build it up again. And I, I fear we're heading in a difficult direction on that. I mean, there is a fine line between uh, criticizing a, a party, revising its theories about itself and where it wants to go, and suggesting that those theories on where it wants to go are, are wrong or are bad or bad for the country. I mean, parties go through revision on where they stand and how they operate. Um, the question is, is the, you know, I guess is, is how defining is this revision that's happening now on both sides of the border, if in fact that is what's happening. I mean, they don't even call it the Republican Party anymore. Most people in their discussions about it, including Republicans, they call it the Trump Party. Or the MAGA party, yeah. Or the MAGA party. Well, I, I, I suspect we're not about to have the Polyev party, notwithstanding the fact that he will uh, possibly, probably uh, become the next liberal leader. I don't see that happening. Um, Conservatively. I just, I just wanted we, we to, caught, to... We caught, we caught Chantel on a misspeak. Yes, uh, you will catch me again. I have not been speaking English for the better part of two months, but I found that very relaxing. How's your French today? Um, I think we somehow uh, we 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 need all of us to step back from two or accept two realities. One of those is that the social media acts as a magnifier. Uh, for conspiracy theories, et cetera, et cetera. But it also acts as something that creates a disconnect. To treat it as a mirror uh, of a political movement or a population is a very dangerous thing because it's distorting uh, the reality of, of actual people who do not spend their days spewing hate or conspiracy theories uh, on uh, the social media. Uh, that's one. The second is, yes, Pierre Poiliev, if he wins, will have had the vote of people who are well outside the political mainstream in all kinds of ways uh, and who subscribe to theories that totally make no sense and which, yes, uh, it would be in his interest and in the interest of his party's brand to, to disown. But that being said, to pretend that Pierre Poiliev will always victory to 
just those people rather than a large, large number of conservative members in good standing who were happy enough to see Stephen Harper go to the World Economic Forum is also to distort reality. And those party members who will tend to be around long after some of the new recruits are gone because the excitement will have gone from this leadership contest also have thoughts on conservatism that uh, does not go to extremes. So if imagine, for instance, that 350,000 conservatives vote for Pierre Poilievre, that would leave, I'm not, I'm not saying that's happening, but out of 600,000, that would leave 250,000 who pick other candidates, mostly uh, Jean Charest. So a uh, totally different view. If he is going to be running a party, he will have to actually take stock of who is in his own party. And I do not believe that the Canadian conservative movement is uh, in its entirety headed in that direction. I'll give you a case in point. I don't find that uh, Premier Ford uh, is very representative of uh, uh, an extreme view of reality or society in the way that he runs Ontario. And he is, as far as I can tell, the uh, highest ranking conservative uh, on the map at this point in Canada. So, so the other thing, and I think it was from an Abacus poll, is that because of social media, most of Canada's chattering classes come to a very uh, strong impression of Pierre Poilievre, for good or for bad. But what the polls show is that most Canadians have not yet uh, looked at Pierre Poilievre and come to a, a decision. The jury is out on there. Uh, on him. They, they, they have not um, decided this guy is crazy because of Bitcoin. They're not into who runs the Bank of Canada thing. And the World Economic Forum is really not something that they worry about uh, any day uh, of the week. So here's the risk that this chattering class that is largely appalled ends up defining Kerpodeva so bad that he can only look very reasonable to most people who finally pay attention and say, what's, what's wrong with all these people? He's not so bad. A recent example, so many observers and political foes described Justin Trudeau as someone who was totally incompetent, that once he showed up at the debate and proved that he could tie his shoelaces, a lot of people said, well, this guy is not incompetent. He can tie his shoelaces. What were they saying about him tripping on those shoelaces the second he starts to run? So I think it's always good advice to say, get your head out of social media once in a while and talk to actual people. You may find that your soul feels better for it. Can I just um, yeah, maybe disagree gently with one point, which is I don't, I'm not suggesting, I, I guess I am agreeing with you in the sense that I'm not suggesting that Pierre Polyev either is unpopular now or is bound to be unpopular or that I, and I also agree with the point that if he's described in demonic terms and then turns out to not sound like a demon to people who are hearing him for the first time, that that won't work to his advantage. I agree with all of that. I think that the risk for him in some respects is the risk that conservative starts to become defined in the, in a manner that looks like what Republican looks like in the United States and looks to Canadians as something that is so far off the mainstream and so grievance, but not, um, not normal grievance, grievance that's based on misinformation. The idea that the vaccination question should be so central to the political alignment of the People's Party and about a third of conservative voters right now is a is a weird thing, in my view, because it really speaks to an anti-science, anti-establishment conservative that didn't really exist in anywhere near that proportion before. It's a mistrust of institutions rather than an embrace of traditional institutions and the and the and the informed scientific and otherwise uh, thoughtful guidance that they can provide to us. And so I don't think we've, we've seen a situation where somebody could presume that they can run to be prime minister, 
that's how he's choosing to characterize his effort and say, I guarantee you that there will never be a mandate um, to, t- to be vaccinated for anything, anytime in the future. That doesn't seem to me to be consistent with the way in which people have looked at conservative party leaders or mainstream party politics in Canada. And so I think the challenge is that that our conservative party, not necessarily Pierre Polyev, although I do think he's more susceptible to that, starts to look like it's it's something other than what people used to think of it as. And I think that's a very real risk, and it could divide that party, too, if Polyev wins. Okay. And by the way, I'm not too sure that the federal government, given its purview on healthcare, has ever mandated vaccines for very many things before the pandemic. The mandating of vaccines, for instance, to go to school are well beyond the purview of a prime minister. So I'm, I'm wondering how much real, actual, real uh, policy substance there is to that, or whether it's not a bit of a freebie. Uh, and I am forever reminded that uh, Justin Trudeau started off by saying vaccine mandates were too divisive. And then once having been demonstrated uh, very publicly by some liberal strategists that vaccine mandates in the federal uh, area could win him a majority, suddenly became a big convert of vaccine mandates. So I, I'm write me down as not converted to the uh, liberal virtue on vaccine mandates. Fair points. All of them. Uh, we're going to take a break and uh, come back on a question about uh, Jagmeet Singh and the NDP right after this. Back with our uh, final block, final segment of Good Talk uh, for this special edition as we close out the summer of 2022. Uh, Earlier in this program, um, Chantel talked about, you know, the dangers, I guess in some ways, of not not delivering on something you either promised or suggested was likely to happen. Um, Here's one uh, that seems to have got Jagmeet Singh talking about how long he's going to hold on to this deal that he has with the liberals to keep them in power for a couple more years. And it all revolves around dental care. And the suggestion being that, uh, you know, if something is not actually on the table in terms of legislation before the end of this year, um, he's going to pull that deal out from under the, uh, the, the floor of the, these two parties and uh, tear it up. And that'll be that. Um, how should we look at that? Is is that uh, somebody who is now having second thoughts about what he did in the first place, that he's having second thoughts about whether the Liberals were serious about dental care, or whether he's getting pressure from within his own with his, within his own party? Um, who wants to start this one off? I will. Okay. Um, how should we take these statements uh, about pulling out of the agreement, statements that were qualified shortly after they came out, like uh, an ultimatum? I take them very, very, very lightly uh, in the immediate future, and that's I'm being polite here. Um, this is a fourth-place party in the House of Commons that has not seen a single poll that promises it a better position in a future parliament or and who would risk ending up uh, with a majority government, liberal or even conservative across from it, meaning it would have zero influence. So to say, I'm going to throw all this out uh, six months after I've come to this agreement, um, sounds like a way to say, hey, people, I'm still here. It's been a long summer and no one's talking about me. As for dental care, where the fate of the political stability of the country now hinges, I have seen no evidence of provincial buy-in to the idea. And why did I not see the premier of BC, a new Democrat, uh, rush to the barricades on that and make it a big topic when the premiers met uh, earlier this summer? Because the premiers have their eye on a different ball, which is called healthcare funding. 
So yes, I believe that there will be some form of dental program that will be coming through the federal government. And yes, I will anxiously look to see how the federal government does at delivering it, given its great success at getting me passports in a timely manner, or even registering guns uh, without spending billions doing so at the time of the gun registry, because the federal government and its uh, competence does not do a lot of delivering things to individuals. But I, yeah, I believe the liberals will come up with something, whether it's going to be a great thing, I don't know, but it should be enough for Jack Singh to keep his own powder dry, at least until the spring budget. Is there any sense that he's getting pressure from within his own party? No. On what? On on dental or on uh, the NDP? just on the position he took? You know, qualified to a to a degree, but it, or or was this a solo shot? This uh, dental thing, I don't think is a. I don't think it's an issue. I'm with Chantal. I think that Jagmeet Singh was looking at a, a kind of weak polling numbers, and uh, even his own personal numbers are softening for the first time in a fairly steady way in the last several months, not, not anything. He's still the most popular uh, leader, um, but he was just trying to draw some attention to the role that the NDP is trying to play. And, um, but I don't think that anybody on the, on the government side understood it to be a, a real threat that they, of some sort of imminent breakup because I'm with Chantal, there's no evidence for the NDP that they would be, um, they would be happy with what would happen, especially I think they've got to be anxious about the polarizing effect of a Pierre Polyev conservative leader being another lucky break for the liberals as they tried to coalesce progressive voters. I think the larger challenge for the NDP is uh, my sense that there's always going to be a segment of voters who want um a very high-minded, passionate, almost pious articulation of progressive values and aspirations, and they're going to get a big chunk of those voters. The liberals have competed for those voters uh, in the past, but that's not a growing dynamic. Right now, you've got more voters who are saying, well, I'm progressive on social issues, but talk to me about food prices, talk to me about gas prices, talk to me about whether we're going to get to some sort of geopolitical stability and our economy is going to be secure in that context. Um, make me feel you can be a progressive politicians and, a politician and understand my everyday concerns. And in that context, I think, you know, the, the NDP talking about dental care for people below a certain income threshold, that's part of it, but it's not a giant idea. And it, it is certainly not the kind of thing that is going to make people go, wait, I hadn't thought about voting for them in the next election, and I better, you know, revise my thinking. Or even better, great, we're having another federal election because the NDP did not get the dental care program it wanted. It sounds like a, a weak uh, uh, entry into a competitive election campaign. I, I, I'm curious, uh, and this is not just about the NDP, it's about every opposition party in the House of Commons, including the Conservatives, if led by Pierre Poilier. There is much emphasis in everything that Justin Trudeau has been doing over the past few weeks and months uh, that has been on the international relations front uh, and on the Russia versus Ukraine uh, dynamics. And again, over the past two weeks, we've seen the Prime Minister hosting the Chancellor uh, from Germany and now a NATO chief. And if I were to identify a, a weak uh, ground for the NDP or for the Conservatives under Pierre Poilievre, it would be the foreign affairs. I don't think I have seen any evidence of uh, anything pertaining to foreign affairs coming from the Poilievre campaign. Uh, and uh, the NDP is also, it is not a strong suit of the NDP. So the question is, if, if as too many believe, the international outlook is going to worsen and worsen over the next five, six, seven months, whether the liberals and Justin Trudeau are not building up capital that uh, the opposition will find hard to, uh, to equate uh, under their current leaders. If the question became, who do you want to be prime minister at the time of war, would the answer automatically be Jacques Singh or Pierre Poilievre? 
rather than Justin Trudeau. Not so, not so sure. Mind you, it's rare, as we all know, that those kind of issues take hold in an election campaign and people vote in on the foreign yeah, but, policy front. But the Iraq thing st- was uh, did did have legs. So and, uh, also, I think if we if we remember that the movement of five hundred thousand to a million voters is really what will decide the election, and the, there are seven million who say that they will, they could support the Liberals but aren't right now. That's a very big pool. There are, I think, 6 million who say they could support either the Conservatives or the Liberals. A little bit larger number, more like seven, who say I could support either the NDP or the Liberals. All of that tells us that it's not every vote that's up for grabs, but there are a lot of votes uh, that are sitting out there willing to consider each one of those three parties. And I think Chantal's right that if we if we look at it as it's either going to be leaders or issues, that's the wrong way to look at it. Um, it will be both. Um, leadership will be a big part of the conversation, especially when you've got such strong personalities uh, involved in, in the race and high profile uh, people. But um, there are going to be issues, and I happen to think that the the defining question that the liberals might be able to use in their in prosecution of their argument against Pierre Polyev, if he leads the Conservative Party, is this idea of does he represent some sort of chaos? Uh, because that's not what people are looking for. They're not looking for tipping over the table uh, right now. There is a sense of wanting more action, more sense of ambition, more clarity of purpose, all of that. But that's not the same as saying, let's throw everything up in the air because there are a lot of people who, who, who would see themselves as being in jeopardy in that situation. You know, earlier, Chantel, you, you mentioned about your, you were thinking the liberals were holding their powder dry on, uh, on dealing with Polyev, waiting until he becomes leader, if that in fact is what happens and then go for a strategy of some kind uh, to deal with him. Is there any sense of what that strategy would be? Because we know what Polyev's strategy is going to be, uh, or at least we think we do, given what we've witnessed over years, not just this campaign, of, of, of going for the jugular and being personal and doing it. Um, and so you can kind of see that developing over the next uh, couple of years in the House of Commons and elsewhere that he'd be attacking Trudeau on a very personal basis. Trudeau is, I don't know, I, I, I don't think he's like that in terms of coming back, you know, uh, fighting back that way on a personal level. What he, <laughs> I was saying the other day, what Trudeau may need is a is is the pair Polyev that Stephen Harper had for doing the attacking. He needs someone on the front benches of his thing going after uh, Polyev. I don't know. Maybe that's a plan. Does anybody know what what strategy they they have to deal once the powder isn't dry? Well, if you're talking press politics, uh, Pierre Poilievre goes after Pierre Poilievre. He has provided the Liberals with enough clips to feed an entire election campaign with stuff <laughs> that uh, makes your hair raise if you're an average voter who is uh, wavering between the Liberals and the Conservatives. I don't believe that uh, it works with the Trudeau brand to. Uh, do uh, cutthroat politics to respond to cutthroat politics. Uh, I think that is part of the reason why Thomas Mulcair is not prime minister today uh, and Justin Trudeau is, that he was so ineffectual and so were the liberals at uh, getting in that mix between Mulcair and Harper that in the end that did help them. But I figure the liberals uh, expected Poitiers will have troubles of his own. It, it, he he now will need people who are not his followers today to follow him. Uh, and caucus management has been a difficult issue for every conservative leader, including Stephen Harper. Uh, so unless Poiliev has great polls that show him headed for a majority government as soon as he has a chance, I think the liberals will be content to... Uh, let him get really personal because when he gets personal, he doesn't talk about policy uh, and bread and butter 
uh, will win you this election more so than saying Justin Trudeau is uh, a terrible person, especially since once, you know, if you're elected prime minister three times, you must be doing something right is what most common sense people would think. Or all the others are doing a lot of things wrong. Um, sorry, you got a minute there, Bruce. Go for it. Chantal is, I think, absolutely right. Pierre Polyev and the other conservatives who've criticized Pierre Polyev have provided the liberals with a lot of material to work with in defining who he is without sounding like this is just them being kind of partisans. Um, I also, though, and I, I agree that it's not a great idea for the prime minister to start to look as though he's become this, this kind of a rabid personal attack dog. Having said that, I think he needs to be crisper, tighter, firmer, stronger in the way that he comes across. He's sort of adopted this kind of I've got your back softness to him. And I think it's a little bit ill-suited to the to the times where people are looking for what feels more like strong direction and clear and crisp leadership. And he's got an opportunity to appeal to economy concerned voters that Pierre Polyev isn't really seizing. Um, he's almost kind of missing it because he's talking about the economy in ways that sound as though it's, um, it's almost some sort of a video game or something like that. It's he trivializes some of it. Uh, whereas I think there are large numbers of voters, especially in our kind of biggest urban centers who want to hear a message about the economy that's not just everything's going more or less okay or will get more or less okay, but are also wanting a serious uh, set of policy ideas. All right. We're going to leave it at that for this day. Um, interesting discussion on a number of areas. I know we didn't get to all the things we were uh, we were hoping to get to, but uh, there's lots more to come in the weeks and months ahead. Um, a reminder that uh, the bridge is back at its daily rate the day after Labor Day. So that's uh, Tuesday, September 6th. Is that what it, it is? I think I believe it is. Uh, and that week on September 9th, the Friday. Okay, I've got my numbers mixed up. But anyway, on the Friday of that week after Labor Day. September 9th. <laughs> September 9th. Good talk. We'll be back on its regular weekly spot. Uh, thanks to Chantel. Thanks to Bruce. We'll talk to you again in just a little while. Mm-hmm.